everybody, welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley, or at least sometimes I think I'm Randy Woodley. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there's a story there. I am Bo Sanders, and this is episode 87. Is that right? 87 episodes we've done so far? Yeah. I like your beard should be gray by now. It sh- that is true. I am I am fortunate in that the gray, you know, has come in up top, but is l- mostly left my chin alone, and so I'm I'm. Yes. So we've between- been doing that for like what, four years or something like that. Or? I think it has been four years. Yeah. You so, know, let, let, let's talk for just a minute about our origins, okay? Okay. Um, of course, you were in the much uh, acclaimed. Uh, podcast duo uh, with uh, what was his name? Uh, 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 Trip. Yeah, George Fuller the Third, aka <laughs> Trip. Fuller. Yeah, and and you know, homebrewed Christianity and TNT. Yeah, theology nerd throwdown, and like you were in that for years, so you were yeah. already well established in the podcasting world and knew what you were doing and. And at the same time, you know, like the first time you ever asked me to be on a podcast, I'm like, um, is it kind of like a radio interview or what's the, what are we doing? And, and my daughter's the one that said to me, hey, dad, you need to have your own podcast. And I'm like, what, what, what does that mean? All right. So, and, and, and she's actually the one that came up with this name, piecing it all together, right? She, yeah. you know, you're, you're about a lot of different things, you know, you've got so many different interests and, you know, and I'm, and I'm like, but the thing is, honey, I said, you know, I can't just start talking about stuff. I mean, that's not, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, right? So somebody has to engage me to sort of get my juices flowing, right? And, uh, and I thought, like, who's the perfect person to engage Oh my gosh, Bo Sanders. That ah. dude knows how to engage, right? And so this is like somehow I'm like, hey, Bo, uh, do you want to do a podcast? And you were like very open to it. And I think yeah. you left, uh, you'd been gone from uh, the, the, uh, what was it? The, the, uh, the Algenary Throwdown and yeah. that one. What was the other one called? That was, oh, yeah, the regular homebrewed. Yeah, you know, for a while and you weren't doing anything, right? I mean, you were. No, I had left L.A. to move back up here in 2016. So I was sort of a free agent. And so when you threw out the idea, I was really into it. Plus, I if I can be honest, the thing I wanted the most is to give your voice. I wanted to broadcast it so that people more and more people could find you and hear what you have to say. But I enjoyed talking to you so much. It's like a labor of love. I mean, you and I talk on the phone anyway. This Now we just hit record yeah. and you know, we put it up. So, I mean, I was I was into it right off the bat. And I figured, hey, if, if this helps expand uh, the, the community that can find Randy's work and engage in that, I just thought this is the perfect opportunity. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but um, I don't think what I have to say is that important. So, uh, but anyway, it's it's great dialogue conversations. Hopefully, we can raise a lot of questions. Um, yeah. That's what we need now is better questions. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, this has been great because it's it's no um, stress or strain at all. It's just like us talking, right? 
we do some prep, but mostly it happens sort of in the moment because, you know, you and I uh, both in our professional lives and just as sort of lifelong learners, we're always reading and writing and engaging in different ideas. So we do some prep, but mostly it is just a live in real time conversation. And sometimes it goes in directions that I'm not anticipating. And mm-hmm. even, even in the moment, I'm thinking like, huh, what am I going to title this episode? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm going to have to correct you and say you do some prep, but I'm afraid, <laughs> afraid I, haven't, I haven't been very faithful to that idea. <laughs> so usually it's like that morning we're like, hey, you want to talk about this like this morning, right? Uh, yeah. last, night, last night you said, hey, uh, we we found in our menagerie of technical stuff that people have been commenting and we haven't even been seeing the comments like, what? But yeah, today we, we can deal with some of that, right? We we will we will clean up a little of that this morning, and we do owe people an apology. So, you know, funny background is um, I used to be pretty tech savvy, but a couple of years ago, probably five or six years, yeah, I would say five or six years ago, right around the same time that I moved up here uh, to become a professor, I I got off Twitter, I quit Twitter, and um, I don't go on Facebook very much. I've just been putting my energy towards other things, but because Facebook keeps changing its interface and it's like algorithm, um, the honest truth is that sometimes even when people comment on the episode or they post on our page, I don't always see it right away. I don't know what happened to uh, how I have my notifications set up. And so we're, you and I are sort of um, not digital masters. (laughs) <laughs> that's a very kind way to say it <laughs> and so we do want to apologize uh when we are delayed but i like that's one of the reasons i like doing these listener feedback episodes is that we can sort of clean them all up at one time but um i am making a concerted effort to go and find all of the comments so like people by the way like last episode was practicing or uh, piecing praxis and we had, uh, you know, two people commented right on, in the show notes on the episode page. So that was great. People can email us at connect at piecing it all together.com. And that works great. People have been sending us a couple things. You can post on the Facebook page. So we do find it. Uh, it's not always uh, the same day or even the same week. But uh, thankfully, we do have some faithful listeners who, like, for instance, one person was asking about... Um, some resources to look up. Talk, we're going to talk today about a nonviolent or getting away from redemptive violence. And somebody said, you know, uh, Bo mentioned this. Are there resources? Like, where do I look for this? And it was actually another listener who was able to point them in the right direction and give them some feedback. So we're grateful for that community that's sort of formed there. Yeah. This has been, you know, an experience with a uh, like yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just like an old dude. I'm an OG, right? I, you know, I I got I somebody uh, hacked me on Twitter. No, and yeah, this is some time ago, like probably four oh. or five months ago, six months ago, yeah. and um, and they suspended my Twitter account. And no matter what I do, I'm I can't get it back. So, but I didn't really ever understand it anyway. So I'm you know I'm just like. I'm still trying to figure everything out on Facebook. 
Oh my god! Posts, you know, once in a while I post something on IG, but mostly we try to just like find people who can post for us because we yeah. just get it. You know, I'm just I gotta admit, you know, there's there's things in this world that I don't understand. Yeah. And it reminds me of when I was like in you know eighth grade and playing you know like uh, uh, Woodstock and black or ninth grade Black Sabbath and my bedroom and my parents would come in and listen and go i don't understand a word they're saying you know and i and i'm like how could they not understand you know and it's like that's where i'm at now so with all the social media it's like yeah. my kids look at me and like they'll be there when i text and i you know i'm very slow and they're like oh dad you're killing me you know <laughs> you're um, killing me yeah just like you know uh, your thumbs <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow. I'm, I'm finding myself to be a bit of a relic. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you can write, though. I mean, we talked about that last episode. You've been cranking out books and articles. So, you know, that last, last episode was, was pretty cool. Um, yeah. It actually ended up being way more valuable than, than I thought it would when we, you know, started using that word praxis and throwing mm-hmm. it out. Oh, that's kind of probably boring, but, but no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> That was great. I tagged a bunch of my academic friends and former students and had some really important stuff. So, yeah. Oh, very cool. I actually brought some resources to um, because we got some good feedback on that. I brought some resources that I want to point people to about uh, if they're interested in thinking a little more about that. So, cool. Yeah. All right. So let's do this. We have uh, three. I've picked out three uh, comments that. I want to do one was an email, one was a post right on the the website, and one was a Facebook comment. So I thought I'd pick one from each of our threads as they come in, and uh, and we'd entertain them. So our three topics are going for episode eighty seven are going to be um, leadership. Seasons of leadership is the first one. Second one is redemptive violence, and then the third one is going to be practicing faith. So. Um, this is unscripted, obviously, but um, let's see where it goes. Redemption song. Oh, that's all I ever heard. You know that song? I do. Yeah. Well, that, that that'll be an interesting topic. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the first one. When we were talking uh, about different styles of leadership, I had mentioned that if you look at organizational charts, they're often very top down, like a pyramid or a triangle. And we were contrasting that with a more of a shared view of leadership that was a circle and shalom connection. And um, we were talking just about the shape of uh, leadership and service. One of the, our listeners, Rob, said it made him think of a wheel and that during different seasons of life, there are times where you might be, say, at the top of the organizational chart where you're giving real vision and leadership and maybe your voice carries a lot of weight and there's a lot of attention. People are looking to you. But part of the problem is that when you get used to being at the, the top and you feel like you always need to be at the top, that that creates problems where people, you know, try and hold on to power and always try and exert that influence. What he was saying is if you view it as sort of a wheel that rotates, more of a a fluid picture of leadership, there are going to be times where you are not on top, but on the side, and that it's more of a shared, cooperative, 
sort of collective wisdom in the room. And I really liked that idea because I've seen this with, with you and Edith. Sometimes you guys are in the spotlight, you're on the stage, there's a group of people focused on you and listening to what you have to say. But I've also seen you in a context where you are in a shared leadership role and you're one of many voices. But then there are other times in life where you're probably on the bottom, if we want to continue to use this metaphor, as limited as it is, where, and I've seen you do this with, say, elders or people of wisdom in your community where you're not in charge, you're not the main speaking voice and that you are listening and you are following and you're facilitating. And so I just thought it was a, a really interesting analogy to see sort of in different seasons of life or in different parts of the community that sometimes you are, you know, at the top to use air quotes, um, giving leadership. And at other times you're at other parts of the organizational chart, but to not to try to hold on or control and to not uh, always have to be in charge and have the power. So I just thought it was a really interesting word picture that sort of, resonated with things that I have seen you and Edith model. So I thought I would bring it to you and see if you had any reflections on it. Yeah, I, I think hierarchy is uh, among people is a um, a very flexible idea. I think the idea of absolute hierarchy or a sort of a uh, like a homeostatic hierarchy is a result of Platonic dualism, right? So when we begin to classify things like some is more important than the other, we change our reality. Like the ethereal is more important than the material. Now, all of a sudden, it was the things of the ethereal that take that take precedence over the things of the material world. So now we start thinking in hierarchies, right? So, mm-hmm. so human beings are above nature and men are above women and whites mm-hmm. are above everybody else and, you know, all those kinds of things. So uh, now if we look in nature, I think it's a little closer to uh, maybe how some of our uh, indigenous leadership looks at it. Mm. In nature, it's not that, you know, the, the the whole idea is like the strongest takes over. Yeah. That's not really it. If you look at different animals, uh, it's the ones that they allow. Right. Yes, there's some strengths, right? That's, that's what they need to survive. But it's the ones that the rest of them allow. And um uh, and and when they don't have those strengths, a lot of times, like let's look at bees, for example, if a queen's not producing, they kill her and they produce another queen and mm-hmm. they allow her to be a queen. And I remember um, my friend Ray, who who said, you know, the way our chiefs were selected among the uh, Plains Cree were, you know, they kind of said, yeah, you know, um, we'll let you leave for a while, you know, mm-hmm. see how you do. And I think that's that's more an indigenous way of doing things it's sort of like like we're gonna we're giving you the authority but we can take that authority away from you so it's not an absolutized authority so but the way that things have been concretized in hierarchical systems within the western um uh worldview and the western world um are sort of like these positions that never change there's no flexibility it's like i'm on top you're below me um that's, you know, so I guess we're talking about like f- uh, function mm. as the most important rather than form. And I there's some argument, if you want to go back to scripture and look, there's a lot of argument that, that there, of course, Jesus was against hierarchy, mm. right? 
I mean, he, he, he said it very plainly, don't act like the Gentiles, you know, like the <laughs> Romans that are around you. You know, these guys have their, you know, like, you know, your field marshals and your captains or centurions and, you know, on down, you know, don't be like them where you lord your authority over people, but serve each other. And we think of that as an ethic, but we don't think of that as our structures. Well, why not structure that ethic throughout our systems, right? Yes, and so yes. the church ended up um, uh, creating a, a sort of a system that matched the Roman Empire. And if you're interested, Ignatius of Antioch um, is probably the one responsible for that. And then by the time it married empire with all its evil uh, theologians and everybody else, like Jerome and uh, Constantine and, I mean, Jerome and uh, um, Cyprian and uh, uh, Augustine and others, who, who basically, you know, good intentions, but basically were sold out to the empire. It was already, as you like to say, both baked in the bread, right? Yeah. And so and so we haven't been able to get rid of that sort of uh, um, absolutized authoritative, what's the word I'm looking for? Authoritativism? I don't know. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, we haven't been able to get rid of that and go back to the functional way Yep. That the church was actually organized when it had, you know, plural, episcopoi, yeah. plural, you know, diaconoi, plural. There's never a case in all of scripture where there's a singular person in charge. And there's never a case where people's different giftings aren't being used. And there's so many places, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Peter 4, 8 and following, you know, it's each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another, Right. So this is the ethos of the New Testament. This is the ethos of this community that Jesus is calling people back to. And that is to like equity, equality, don't lord over each other. Use your giftedness, yes, to advance the community, but don't lord it over each other. And so we have concretized all of those kinds of things and made them hierarchical. And that is not the way of nature. And it's not the way of the church. And it's not the way of indigenous people. Wow. Who is it the way of? It is the way of the Western world who wanted something from everybody. You know, Aristotle is the 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 really the first one that we have a record of uh, who said that basically Greek civilization is a higher form of civilization than everybody else in the world. And then that ended up equaling white civilization, right? And uh, uh, but but Aristotle's you know, like America doubled down, right? On Aristotle. Aristotle said you could actually move from, and the Romans were great at this, move from being one of these lower forms, slave who were uh, destined for slave ability, basically, um, from one of these lower forms up to a citizenship status, right? So this was a big deal, especially in Rome, citizenship status. But in America, it's like one drop of black blood, not enough Indian blood, you know, and there were reasons for that, right? You had one drop of black blood, you could be enslaved. Uh, if you had uh, not enough Indian blood, then you lose everything. You lose your land, you lose your rights, you lose it. Mm -hmm. So um, so all of this was was trickery to basically impose a, 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 a white civilization, right? And so, and we're still, of course, battling that. Uh, it's happening every day now. But um, yeah, so... So I'm just saying it is unnatural. Absolute mm. hierarchy is unnatural. How does that strike you? 
I that really resonates with me. And I think my brain is flooded with examples of when that isn't the case, how disastrously it can go either for the community or, or even for the individual. You know, I have uh, people in my life who say they've done really well in one, one area of their life, maybe their professional life. And they get used to being treated a certain way or having a certain amount of status or privilege. And then when they're in a different context, they can't let that go. And they want to try and impose that or, you know, grasp at that. And I understand, you know, that that's ego. And I get that it must feel good to always be the big dog or in charge or, you know, whatever it is, the person of honor. But the models that I have seen that inspire me the most are people who aren't afraid of stepping up in the moment when it's needed, you know, because there are times where you're going to be the decision maker and people, especially after you've talked about it collectively, and then people say, okay, well, you know, we need to make a decision and you're the one with, you know, sort of in this, position. So uh, people are looking to you to make a decision. And I know people who won't step up at that moment and won't be the one who takes the responsibility, you know, for, uh, for making the decision. And that harms the community as well. Absolutely. But then, then there are other times where, um, you know, literally the, the trash needs taking out and the dishes need to be done. And if somebody thinks that they're too good or whatever to, to do that, right. Then that harms the community as well. But I think it harms them also. And I've really been having fun with this lately. You know, I've been uh, doing some new things as I've come out of core uh, COVID quarantine. And I've been trying to put myself in different environments where I'm not in charge mm -hmm. and I'm either just being a partner or I'm actually being a helper, like a servant and it's just, it's interesting because it's doing good things in me and I feel like I'm doing good in the world, you know? So like when I get to come out uh, and spend a day with you on the farm, I'm not, I'm not a farmer. It's not my, it's not my property. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just want to be helpful, but I can partner with you, you know, to put um, tractor implements on and, you know, to, <laughs> to, to, to dig holes and like but, last you're, week. <laughs> yeah, but you're the one with the vision for like, how are these benches going to come together? And what's this medicinal garden going to look like? Right. And I'm just there to help. And I love it. I love partnering, but you know, I don't bring any expertise to the table. And so that's a fun way to spend my day and to be in relationship with you and the land that you love so much. And then I'm, you know, I'm volunteering at Cycle Oregon is one of the things that I'm trying out. I've never done before. And it's funny, like there I am, literally, I'm a warehouse worker. I drive a forklift. I take out the trash. I mop the floor. I I'm literally get bossed around. And it's just a completely different, you know, sort of muscle memory thing. It's a completely different role. And no one really cares what I'm writing my dissertation on or how many books I've read <laughs> <laughs> or anything. I literally am just driving steel into the ground so that we can put up some signs and right. I'm uh, it's fun. But I also noticed that like in my family, there are times where we're trying to make some, 
pretty challenging decisions right now about various things. And we'll talk about it, but sometimes we can talk about it and talk about it, talk it to death. And then there just comes a time that somebody is looking to me to say, what do you think we should do? And just because of the role I play in my family, maybe as the oldest son or the big brother or, you know, whatever it is, um, that, you know, there's a role that I have the honor to play, which is to say, it sounds like most of us would prefer to go this way. Could we figure out a way to do that without leaving behind or hurting those who had a different preference? Right. You know? So leadership is really has to do with the courage to be that one to step up when it's needed. Right. Mm-hmm. But wisdom is really about knowing when not to. Wow. Yeah. So, Hey, you mentioned, um, Ayla Hay, and I got to tell you this week, uh, this is off topic a bit, but uh, I spoke at the, uh, I was a plenary speaker and at the American Public Gardens Association. And, uh, you were? Oh yeah. I mean, they had their annual uh, conference this year. This is all the public gardens in the United States and Canada. And, uh, oh, and even I think they're, yeah, in Mexico. So it's <laughs> North America. Um, and, uh, and, and I got to speak and, and um, it was, you know, because they want it, they want to change their image and invite more um, uh, differently abled people, mm-hmm. um, whether that be BIPOC or folks in wheelchairs or, you know, whatever, um, to be a part and to experience it and to have voice in what they're trying to do. And so so my challenge was like, well, are you trying to assimilate these people into what you already have? Or are you trying to create new spaces um, that people, sorry, new spaces for, are you trying to create new spaces for people? So uh, it was, it turned out to be a wonderful experience. I like these people. Um, They're great folks. um, And I hope I can have further contact with them in, in, uh, 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 you know, later on and, um, end up being, uh, you know, somebody who can attend and, and, but, uh, we're not a public, but the, the, the point is, is that I, we actually got to go to a couple of workshops while we were there. And, um, I, I got, I thought I was a visionary. You had mentioned that and, oh my gosh, the vision that I came back with for Ayla Hay was just blew my mind apart. And, and the same with Edith. Yeah. She came back, she went to one on, uh, accessibility and sensory gardens for yeah. children and special needs children and um, uh, differently able people. And, oh, my gosh, there's so much we want to do with this place now. It's like, uh, you know, we're so excited. Yeah, Randy, That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like there's so much that we can be doing here educationally. Yeah. Uh, I looked at how they built a uh, Native American park in Winnipeg called the Cinnaboyne Park. And how they were educating people about Native stuff and just including boarding schools and missing and murdered and the 60 scoop and all these different things. And it's like, man, our our place can be a major place for education of people as well, Uh, not just a cultural experience and not just, you know, an experience of getting in touch with the earth. So we're we're just so excited. We came back just totally envisioned. And who would have thought? Right. American Public Gardens Association. Like when they first called me, I was like, 
you know, I don't understand why you're asking me. Like, if this was the American Honky Tonk Bar Association, that would make more sense, right? But, uh, but anyway, it ended up being a wonderful, wonderful thing that we did this uh, last week. So. <laughs> I'm so, that makes me so happy. But unfortunately, now oh, all I have stuck in my head is I got friends in low places. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Rob, for sending us that feedback. And it really has made me um, think differently the last couple of weeks. So um, listeners, if you want to send us in your reflections on different seasons of leadership and different models and motivations, I think that's a really fruitful conversation that we could obviously talk for quite a bit about. But we know where to find your comments now. Yes, we we do know where to find your comments now. On our uh, Facebook page. Yeah. Speaking of which, I want to talk about Anne from Missouri. So on our Facebook page, uh, Missouri, Missouri. <laughs> oh, my apologies. My apologies. If nobody's from Missouri. They're all from Missouri. Missouri. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's like people who are from Oregon are not from or or what do they say? Oregon? Yeah, um, I don't know. And the people from uh you know uh uh Nevada, mm -hmm. not from Nevada. So anyway, we're we're talking about Missouri. Okay. I I know how important that stuff can be. When I lived in Canada uh, you know, I could always tell when somebody was not from Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, you're not from here. Okay. Um, or Regina. Oh, geez, yes. So on our Facebook page, this is an interesting wrinkle. We set it up this way intentionally. I don't know if I would do it this way again, but you can comment right on our Facebook page. But we also know that there are lots of people who are sort of rethinking their faith or trying out new things or deconstructing or whatever words you want to use for that. So we created this little side group where people can post comments and questions in our face. This is a smaller Facebook group off the record. And so that's always an interesting thing. And so Anne wanted to know about resources to get away from redemptive violence. And so Randy and I have compared notes and we've come up with three suggestions if you are interested, we got three books we're going to point you to, but you can also look this stuff up on YouTube and in different things. But just want to let you know about three resources that are out there that we think you might like. Randy wanted to point out one called Saving Paradise, how Christianity traded love of this world for crucifixion and empire. That's by Rita Nakashima Brock and Rebecca Ann Parker. And then... Two books that I've gotten a lot out of, one by Mark Heim called Saved from Sacrifice, A Theology of the Cross, and one called The Nonviolent Atonement, which is a very heady work, but it's really good, by J. Denny Weaver. And I can link to those in the show notes. But just wanted to acknowledge that our episode on redemptive violence um, Randy, I've gone back and listened to it a couple times because uh, ever since we recorded it, several violent things have happened in our country and in the news. Yeah. Can I uh, maybe suggest one other? Uh, yes, please. Yeah. That would um, sort of uh, 
help sort of frame everything. Um, and uh, it's called Triune Atonement uh, by Andrew Sung Park. Yeah, uh, yeah. That will sort of help you get things, uh, frame things. Okay. That was a good book. I do remember that one. Violence continues to permeate our world. And one of the things Anne had asked about was, how do you even begin in a culture not just saturated with violence, but that actually embraces the idea of redemptive violence? You know, whether it's a good guy with a gun is the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun, or, you know, obviously our, our, um, our understanding of the crucifixion and so many other things in this country. How do you begin to invest in peace and to foster community outside of this myth of redemptive violence when you maybe live in a part of the country that has actually embraces as a cultural value this idea of redemptive violence? Yeah. It's a toughie because, you know, this whole country is built upon violence. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, uh, America is war. Mm -hmm. There have been very few places in the history of this country, uh, very uh, very few times, I should say, um, just a matter of a few years at, at a couple different places, speculum, where we've not been at war with someone. And so that uh, idea of redemptive violence is ubiquitous to America, to the United States. It's a little different in Canada. Right. Uh, it's a it's, um, you know, like uh, the indigenous people of Canada, they w when they have to uh, demand their rights, they go back to treaty mm. and say, remember when we sat down together and we agreed upon this. But see, in the, the United States, the indigenous people were forced to sign treaties at gunpoint. So um, it was with the peril of their own lives or go to war. And we did both, and it was a bloody resistance. Um, unfortunately, we didn't win. But, um, you know, when this is your history, this is all you know. So it's no surprise that we have so many, uh, especially religious people, who have bought into this idea, you know, because, uh, and like you say, it's it's a whole part of our understanding of who God is and uh, you know, is God this violent killer, uh, genocidal uh, person who, quote unquote, has is the only one with the right to do that because he gives life, which is part of the Calvinism argument, which is just total bullshit. Right. Um, and uh, or or is God the most vulnerable being who exists and says the only way to win the battle is to love harder. And. um you know, I don't understand how anybody could read the words of Jesus that says, love your enemies, which is the exact, um, like, what hardest thing there is to do. But somehow we can get the power of love to love our enemies into giving up their guns. Mm -hmm. And, man, you talk about heroes and tough people. Those are the ones who have made the sacrifices is to, is to do that. You know, just to turn your feelings around from hating someone to loving them is a, is a chore.
and then acting on them because, you know, Jesus said, bless them. Don't curse them. Bless them. So, and, and I've been there, you know, so um, I know what that means. Um, I know how hard it is. Um, but one thing we do know that's proven over and over and over again is that violence begets violence. And it will just end up with more people being dead on both sides. Yeah. More heartbreak. So what kind of world do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the world where you hide in a cement, you know, locker, uh, you know, and, and have to shoot people and have to have, you know, machine guns and semi-automatic guns in order to keep, you know, and if there's enough people, you'll run out of ammunition. And somebody's always got a bigger gun, right? Somebody's always got more guns or a bigger gun. And so it's a no-win situation, but there's this like heroic theme that runs through American history and religion of violence that makes people's heroes. And uh, it's just not reality. What it does is it makes people dead. Mm. Wow. Heavy stuff. Well, we don't really have an alternative. If you want to live in a good world, yeah, it takes sacrifice, but not how many guns you can collect. It's like, how hard can you love? You know, Randy, I think that that's probably a good place to leave it. That's, that's some pretty profound stuff, man. It wasn't wasn't my idea. It was. It was <laughs> Listeners, we do appreciate your feedback. So whether you email us, connect at piecingitalltogether.com, or you comment on the show page, or you comment on Facebook, we do love your feedback and we are grateful for it. Especially we want to thank our Patreon supporters. We've picked up a couple new ones in the past month. And so we want to say thank you for those who support us on Patreon and make this possible for us to pay our hosting fees and all sorts of other stuff that we... uh... Products. So thank you. We are really encouraged when we see that 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 support and um, these, these 87 episodes that we've been able to put out are great joy to us so we hope that you find them helpful join in the conversation we want to hear from you yeah we're gonna have to do something special when it comes to the 100th episode right oh yeah i think we should have a live podcast out at your place okay okay if we're not in pandemic mode hey we can you know we can have a big feast out here and oh gosh that might be amazing let's dream about that together okay All right. So peace out, folks.